First John chapter 2, if you will, in your copy of the Word of God. First John chapter 2, three familiar verses, uh, 15, 16, and 17, but we trust that as we explore uh, this text that the Lord will speak afresh to every heart in this room. First John chapter 2, f- verses 15, 16, and 17 is our text. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Uh, That's good news, amen. Our subject this morning, Forbidden Love. Forbidden love. There are people, things, uh, the scripture commands believers to love. Namely, God, fellow believers, all men, and even our enemies. Uh, We're to love God's word. We're to love what God loves. But there are things that God does not approve of. And that is a relationship that is strictly off-limits for us. There is a line of demarcation separating us from the forbidden love that we must not cross. We're not to love the world. But wait, you may respond, does not the Bible tell us that God so loved the world? Indeed it does. Yet there is no contradiction in the command to Christians not to love the world and the fact that God does love the world. God's love for the world is a holy, redemptive love, a love that expresses itself in seeking to save lost humanity. The love that we're prohibited expressing is the love of participation. We can love the sinner, but we must not share in the sinner's sins. That's a great difference, isn't it? God wants to deliver sinners from sin. We are not to love in the sense of participation in their sin. We need to define this word love. We see it here in verse 15, the word world rather. It needs a a definition because it has been used to denounce everything from buttons to beers. (laughs) They have. If you've grown up in church, you understand that. If you've been around, you understand the things that people say, oh, that's worldly. In fact, there's a little ditty I thought about not long ago. It says, we don't cuss and we don't chew. And we don't go with girls who do. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff. You mean, you couldn't wear lipstick because lipstick, you know, that signified you're of the world, really. Um, No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. So we need to understand what the word world means. So we must define it. Cosmos is the word translated world here. And it means an order arrangement hence an ordered system that's what cosmos is it's the opposite of chaos disorder but this is cosmos in fact you can look at the physical world and you see this order there is system as a system an ordered system but in this context of our text the world refers to the organized system of evil it is an invisible system of evil It is an invisible system of evil, a a, a realm of existence. It is a way of life. And under the dominion of Satan, 
that's an imperative that it's imperative for us to understand that that is under the dominion of satan in fact first john chapter 5 verse 19 says this um, and we know that we are of god and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one uh, the world lies here in this text provides insight into the relationship between the evil one that is satan and the world that word lies refers to the non-resistant and passive dependence of lost humanity upon the power that grips it the people in the world they do they don't resist satan they can in fact they're enslaved to sin they're enslaved to him that's the world the world of unregenerate people lost people they're in the power of the evil one and they do not have the wherewithal to escape from him nor even the desire to be free we were once under his control we were once in in the thrall of satan we were once in the world Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 is clear about this it says we walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air that was our life that was how we lived we walked according to the sinful evil uh, world and under the authority of Satan the prince of the power of the air and since we didn't have the wherewithal to uh, free ourselves from the world and from Satan's uh, grip a divine rescue operation was needed we were delivered from the domain uh, that domain by the work of Christ on the cross Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says this um, about the means of our deliverance speaking of Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father Christ his sacrifice on the cross is the means by which God used to deliver us when we trusted him as Savior and Lord we were delivered then from this present age in fact that's the purpose of the gospel when we share the gospel with someone when we heard the gospel the gospel what it is designed to do is to free people from this present age it is to free people from this age in fact that word age there in galatians 1 4 refers to an ordered system the current world system run by the prince of the power of the air no one can be freed from this current evil system called the world apart from the deliverance that comes by faith in christ who paid for the sins of sinners for all who would believe on him and that's what happened to us that's why we're freed because of what Christ did on the cross and we believed that when we heard the gospel the Holy Spirit applied it to us we believed and we embraced him as our Savior as our Redeemer as our Lord and at that precise moment we were set free from the world so nothing less than divine intervention could free us from the world so when you, you look at the world and you look at lost people and you see them and they're, what they're doing, their sins, all that, do understand they're trapped in a system they can't free themselves from, just like we once were. Until the grace of our God visited us with the gospel. 
We have faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, we have overcome the world. We have victory over the world. We've gained that through Christ and his salvation. This spiritual reality is true about us. However, there's a reason this text here in verse 15, the A portion, do not love the world, nor the things in the world, is here. It's not here by accident. Though we are not a part of the world, we've been freed from the world, though we have overcome the world, as this book, First John, tells us, we are not immune to the temptations of the world system. Even if you're a mature Christian down the road, you're not. It's fascinating that John, here in the previous verses, he mentions in verse uh, 13 of 1 John 2, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing all of these groups, uh, levels of maturity, even the fathers, those who have known the Lord for a long time, they are not immune to the temptations that come from the world. By the way, you never get so mature that you are mature enough to be immune from the world. So this command here in our text, in verse 15 to a portion, uh, not to love the world, nor things in the world, recognizes our potential vulnerability to love what is forbidden to us. And by the way, the command is in the present tense. Expressing that failure on our part to love the world is to be an ongoing fact of our spiritual life. In, if God were grading us, he would want to be able, when it came up to the course, did you fail to um, love the world? Did you love the world and you no, I didn't. He gives you an F. That's what you want? You want to be, uh, have an F grade because you want to fail to love the world. Now you'll notice in verse 15, the A portion, John moves from the general, do not love the world, to the specific, nor the things in the world. You may love a restaurant that features a buffet. I'm sure some of y'all like uh, Golden Corral. God bless you. <laughs> you may also love particular dishes served in the buffet line, but others you may not care much for at all. The reference to things are like the particular food items on a buffet line. This refers to particular aspects of the world that we're not to love. But I think I need to clarify something here because people can misinterpret what things are. Things are not necessarily material objects. Material things are non-moral. They are spiritually morally neutral. We need to understand that. The things in the world, earlier in this service, I read uh, to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I read to you a portion of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his warfare. In fact, all Christians are engaged in this warfare. And he said, yes, he's a man, but he doesn't war after or according to the flesh or as a man, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
What is the apostle talking about here? He is saying in verse 5, we are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Speculations there refer to ideologies or belief systems. You know, world religions. Man, they're, they're everywhere. Philosophies. All kinds of philosophies. You go to a philosophy class or take philosophy and everybody's got a different perspective on the meaning of life and none of them agree because they don't know. Speculations. Then there are worldviews. And these worldviews, all of this is raised up against the knowledge of God. What men do, they hide themselves behind, protect themselves behind all of these speculations, all these nutty ideas. That's why they want evolution to be true. Because if evolution is if it's non-theistic, it's not supernatural, then there's no accountability to God. So, oh, yes, it's all happened by evolutionary process. Or some people say, oh, somebody came here from outer space billions and billions of years ago and planted a seed here, and here comes the human race. That's a big lie. But that's what they want. That's why they're always looking for uh, extraterrestrial life. Because you're hoping somebody from out there is going to come and fix us. And we don't have to face judgment. That's what it's all about. That's why you hear occasionally on the news they see what they think. Oh, what's this? Unidentified flying object. One cosmologist, um, astrophysicist who is not a Christian said, you really think that with all these cell phones, we can't capture somebody would have not captured an alien on one of them <laughs> hmm. but these are speculations raise themselves up against the knowledge of God men don't want the truth from God that's from the world that's what we deal with so when you hear all these kind of ideas and thoughts that are contrary to the word of God do understand that emanates from the world and that's all to, for men to barricade themselves by protect themselves from the truth of God. So things in the world and covers that. And things in the world, the reality is about things. If we talk about material things, uh, uh, the danger comes when those things generate an attitude of alienation from God. When rather than, rather than loving God, there becomes an affection for those things in God's place. Don't let anything in the world turn your heart from God as your supreme love. Consider this, brothers and sisters. What possible spiritual value or gain is there for you in loving anything in the world? Moreover, believers, you must remember that God and the world's system of evil and conflict. God opposes the world. You never want to be on the side of the opposition to your God. James 4.4 4 is clear, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're not to love the world. In fact, we, we love the Father. The B portion of verse 15, we love the Father. 
if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, those words, if anyone loves the world, let's stop there and just explain it for a brief moment. The one who loves, that word is agapa. It's present tense, indicative, active verb. Uh, it's in, an indicative is a fact. One whose lifestyle is one of habitual loving the world. If anyone who habitually loves the world, this is an unbeliever. If a person uh, practices loving the world, that's their lifestyle, uh, they just signif- signal to everyone, I am not a believer. And John is quite clear here as he says, and the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we need to understand what this uh, phrase means because it has been interpreted several ways in terms of the, uh, the Greek grammar. Uh, I believe here in the context, and I believe the grammar here is an objective genitive, I believe it means love for the Father. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. A hallmark of genuine faith in Christ is love for God. 1 John 4, verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 1. The world, on the other hand, hates God, Romans 1, 30. And it hates Christ and Christians, John 15, verse 18. Love for God and love for the world are mutually exclusive. It is as impossible to do both as it is to experience the sun's light at high noon and pitch darkness at midnight in the same place at the same time. And Jesus is quite explicit about this. The impossibility of serving two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Matthew six twenty four. The principle same, whether it's God and wealth, God and, uh, and uh, the world at large, or particular things in the world, the impossibility. Those two are incompatible, loving God and loving the world. Now it says here, John does in the B portion of the the bottom half of the verse the love of the father or love for the father is not in him the one who loves the world it's not in him love for God is not the motivating reality of his heart and life for the believer it is true Christians love the father that's a reality and they shouldn't love the world because of the world's character. It's evil character. This is my next point. Verse 16. For all that is in the world. That word for points to what the world is like in three basic elements. These elements reflect the world's evil character. Now you want to know what the world's like? The three points here in verse 16 tell us. The first one here is the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. 
the Greek behind that word lust is epithumia, and it is used in two ways in the New Testament, denoting both positive and evil desires. Of course, here, evil desire is meant. Lust, what is it? It is the evil cravings of the fallen nature that draws people towards sin. That's what it is. Lust of the flesh brings to our minds primarily sexual sins. These are included, but the meaning is not limited to these sins. We know this because the Apostle Paul delineates these sins in Galatians chapter 5. And the fact of the matter is, sin dominates the world. Wouldn't you agree with that? I'm glad you do because it's true. It's the dominating reality of the world. Sin. Verse 19 of Galatians 5. You have this little list here. You've seen it before. And it's good to be reminded of what the Bible says. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list of sins. And notice that Paul says here, and things like these. That tells us it's not an exhaustive list. There are other sins. You can find them in other places. Romans 1, for example. But the enumeration of these sinful attitudes and actions, uh, they're, they're the deeds of the flesh. They come from the flesh, those evil cravings. It's what's going on in the world. And these deeds are characteristic of people in the world. No one Christian uh, unbeliever commits all of these sins, but all of these sins are what unbelievers commit as that's their lifestyle. And the Holy Spirit stands against all of that, does he not? He is resolute in his opposition to these vices in the Christian life. Now, how can we apply this? For the Christian not to love the world, he will not yield to those sins, but yield to the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not a matter of I didn't put on lipstick of a woman. Or I don't buy an automobile, I drive a buggy, a black one, as the Amish do. It's what do I do with these sins that are characteristic of the world? That's real worldliness. So whenever people do those things, the lust of the flesh, that's the world. At least part of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens, as strangers, to abstain from fleshly lust, which war, wage war against your souls. Abstinence from fleshly lust. Hold yourself back from them. It's war. War it's an irregular war, guerrilla warfare. Irregular guerrilla warfare is irregular warfare. It doesn't fight according to the way other armies fight. That's how those lusts work. Fleshly lusts. Warring against you internally. 
the next thing is characteristic of the world element the world is this lust of the eyes sight's a wonderful thing isn't it it's a wonderful gift from God but our eyes can be used to perpetrate evil the eyes can be like a gate that is left open and allows the wrong things to enter the mind and heart in temptation to sin it goes all the way back to primeval history of the human race Eve Eve saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes she ate in disobedience to God's command move along a little further in Genesis and there's this lady Mrs. Lot she just had to look back one more time because her heart was back there she had to look at what was going on and boom a pillow of salt <laughs> happened to her, her eyes go a little further in biblical history go to the book of Joshua the conquest of the promised land and there's a man named Achan A-C-H-A-N Achan he saw the prohibited things and oh man the Babylonish garments and the gold, all of that he looked at it he said to Joshua I saw it I coveted them and I took them he and his family gave up their lives in judgment from God because of that he looked at the forbidden items David forever scarred his, his personal history uh, during time 2 Samuel 11 he looked lustfully at Bathsheba bathing and later committed adultery with Uriah's wife. The eyes. All these individuals knew what God's will was. Rather than refusing the temptation to sin, which came by the eye gate, they yielded to the lust that their eyes generated. Now I'm going to tell you something. Jesus has a um, prescription for eye trouble, doesn't he? <laughs> Why would I say eye trouble? Because it, actually the Greek word for eye is the word we get ophthalmology from. Matthew 5.29, it says this, If your right eye makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. Ooh. Uh, that's a radical thing to do. The right eye was considered the best eye, the best vision. And Jesus said, your best eye, your best vision, what you need to do if it's going to cause you to stumble, that means anything that morally and spiritually traps us, that will cause us to sin or stay in it, what you need to do, you need to get rid of it. Of course, Jesus was speaking hyperbolically. He didn't literally mean to excise your eye and throw it away. Because you can still lust. Well, you got an imagination. He was saying that whatever, we ought to do whatever is necessary to get rid of even the most cherished thing if it will keep us from sinning. That's what he's saying. People find that difficult to deal with when you read something like that so radical. And that's the reason for that is this, simply because we take sin so lightly. The sin must not be treated lightly. It must be addressed radically. A believer's radical action to rid himself or herself from that which leads to sin reflects a heart that is not loving the world. 
those who love the world, they indulge the lust of the eyes. They're in the world and they love it. Peter writes about the false teachers as crept into the church. He says in Second Peter two fourteen, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. And in our day, uh, it's we're inundated by sights that we, our previous generations didn't have to deal with. Isn't that right? I heard someone say a few years ago that television was an example of soft porn. And when I heard it, I said, you know, that's right. Soft porn. It's getting a little harder even, I suppose, in some place. If you look at some stuff, if you order that stuff. In our day on the Internet, which can provide viewing, it can provide viewing of all kinds of sins. Sights and sights. <laughs> uh, you might want to get rid of it. If you're... Uh, your internet, social media, or whatever it is that you, is a temptation for you to go and look at that and sin, you might want to take your computer, unplug it, and throw it to trash. Somebody says, Seller, don't help anybody. <laughs> Let them do their own sinning. <laughs> you put it in the trash. Say, <laughs> so here, here, I'm, I'm, I'm holy now. You have the computer. And they said, thank you. Put the trash. You said, well, that's extreme. Uh, let me tell you something. People in hell will rise up and tell you, do it. You say, well, do I have to do that? Well, oh, stay away from that stuff. Unplug your computer and put it in a uh, closet. Lock it up. Get rid of social media. See, uh, that seems so radical because we're so accustomed to accommodating ourselves to sin. do us radical that's what Jesus was saying that's why he spoke in a hyperbolic manner to express the seriousness of sin third element in the triad of evil that shows the evil character of the world is found in verse 16 as well it's the boastful pride of life pride is a pervasive sin in our world it is an elevation of self over others and also over God. Rather than think, thanking God and honoring him in humility, creatures exalt themselves and seek fulfillment in things that glorify the creature rather than the creator. Romans chapter 1 verses 20 through 22 to 25 demonstrates this clearly. Fallen man in his pride and arrogance even endeavor to throne, dethrone God. They tried this in the early days of human history. Genesis chapter 11, they're going to build a tower, a ziggurat to heaven. Rather than being spread over the world like God said, do no, no, we're going to stay right here. We're going to run this show. In Psalm 2, there will be those, that, they don't want uh, God's rule and they want to throw it off. They want to dethrone the sovereign of the universe. That's arrogance, isn't it? God hates pride. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, um, first part of it says, six things which the Lord hates. First 17, yea, 
seven things that are an abomination to him. And the very first one in the list is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. What are we talking about? Pride of life, boastful pride of life, of life. Those two words are translated um, in verse 17 of 1 John 3 as the world's goods. The term basically means the means of life, livelihood. Pride of life is the hollow self-exaltation based on material possessions or social prominence. We've all been around the braggart to show off. They want to let you know what, they've, what they have, their possessions. I had to sell my house in Malibu. I liked it, but it was just too small for all my friends who every time I had a party, they all wanted to crowd in. You know, 10,000 square feet just cramped us. <laughs> Show off. First Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love does not brag. Now notice something in our text. These three elements that John writes about, he says, is not from the Father. Can't be. He is not the source because he is utterly holy. Verse 5 of 1 John 1, this is a message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's contrary to his nature. Can't come from him. But it is from the world that is dominated by sin and rebellion against God the Father. That's where all that comes from. And we absent ourselves from participation. We love the Father. The world, we don't love the world because the world's evil character. Last thing, verse 17, the world is doomed. It's passing away. That's what it says in verse 17. It's in the process of it. And that word, uh, the words passing away, virago, is one word in the original. It means to disappear. The world system of evil is headed for extinction. If it were an animal, it would be on the endangered species list. But it cannot be preserved from extinction. The world is doomed as sure as a Titanic, Titanic was. The iceberg of sin has rendered the world unsurvivable. The world system. The world system of evil is going to suffer a fatal cataclysmic blow at the return of Jesus Christ to the earth in judgment. He's going to destroy it. I don't know about you, but that's one day I'm looking forward to. When it is gone for good. And Jesus will destroy it. Verse 17. Along with the system gone into lust, it'll be gone. 
But the one, in contrast, who does the will of God lives forever. Talking about Christians. Lives forever. Will remain into the ages. This is what it literally says. Into the ages. It's speaking of eternal ages. The world system is passing away. But we're going to go into the eternal ages. Um, there'll be no more sin. But what Christians do now is this, as First Peter four two tells us, to live the rest of the time in the flesh, that is the body, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. That's how we live now. It's forbidden love. We're not to love the world I'm going to tell you as you grow in holiness as you grow in sanctification the, the pill of the world will be more and more shunned you'll demonstrate increasingly your love for the father one more thing as I'm closing we're in the world but no longer of it and we show this to be so by refusing to love what our Father has forbidden us to love. We've been set free. We belong to the Lord. Contemplate that um, a little bit. When you consider where the world's headed, even now, and where you're headed, and thank Him for His grace. Because you could have been one of those, part of that system, unable to free yourself, headed to doom. Instead, you're headed toward eternal bliss. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth that you tell about life here under the sun. Thank you that there is um, a world system that is evil that operates in opposition to you but you've told us about it and you freed us from it thank you for that reality help us to increasingly live for you as we gain discernment as we live by your word as we demonstrate that we are people who are strangers and aliens in this world and we have a heavenly home ultimately where we're going and may our light so shine before men may we be salty may we be a people who are blameless in a perverse and crooked generation that we might glorify your name and point men to Jesus Christ that they may too be rescued even as we were we pray for any in this room this morning who needs that rescue need to come to the Savior and be delivered from the world system pray you open their hearts to the gospel of Christ and save them we pray you do this for your glory and praise amen